Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All righty, guys. Again, Will Dykstra here in studio on this beautiful, sunny Saturday morning and uh, full swing of summer here in Colorado. We've got fishing. We've got some hunting, scouting that's going on this time of year. And uh, I've got Nathan Zielinski on the line to talk all things fishing. We're actually going to have Nate for two segments today. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of things fishing, or, and then we're going to cover a lot of things hunting or vice versa. Nate, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Will. How are you? You know, I'm great. I, I typically complain about being in the studio, especially on a nice day like today. But, you know, the fact that we get a chance to sit on here and talk about hunting and fishing and bring more people uh, into the outdoors and educate them is just a great opportunity for both of us. Absolutely. You know, it's what it's all about. And this time of year, it's, uh, again, you know, we always talk about there's so many things to do. And you know, between the fly fishing and the walleye bite and the trout bite, and, you know, scouting for big game stuff, which uh, is right around the corner. We literally, in five weeks, our archery pronghorn season starts. I mean, the, the sheep tags and all that kind of stuff start and you know, literally le- less than four weeks. Uh, so everything is taking place right now as we speak. So uh, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things to be doing out here in the Colorado outdoors. There's no question. Now, Nate, let's let's start with fishing. Uh, you know, you and I both, we spend a ton of time on the water. And, uh, you know, this time of year, I know we've been all over the state literally chasing lake trout, walleyes, uh, carp, catfish, pike, you know, big rainbows and browns, and doing it in a number of different ways. You know, what are you seeing that's going on right now? You know, it's that time of year where we're starting to get that transition time is what I would say. So, uh, I mean, even though obviously, I mean, a lot of us say that summer starts in May, truly our, our like full-blown summer patterns, or even what do you want to call it, the summer pattern or the start of the fall pattern, uh, is taking place. So our uh, our main forage base for all of our walleyes is gizzard chad. Um, and those gizzard chad, you know, generally speaking, spawn, um, you know, sometime early June, so, you know, it's usually right when that water starts getting in the, the high upper 60s, low 70s. Um, so depending on when that is, you're going to see your spawn you know, start to approach a, a feedable size for your predator fish, usually about a month after the fact. So generally speaking, about a week and a half ago, you know, maybe 10 days ago, we saw our shad kind of becoming prevalent. All of a sudden, we're seeing bait fish everywhere. Now, generally speaking, your walleyes and a lot of your predator fish don't activate on those shad until they're about an inch long. When they're about that, you know, three-quarter inch long is when they're starting to be, you know, worth a meal and enough protein to, to really be of substance for these fish should take and that time is just starting right now so we're still having phenomenal days you know i'd say the average walleye day that we're having out here at chatfield cherry creek pueblo uh is probably around 80 fish a day 60 to 80 fish a day uh so the numbers are huge but in the coming weeks you're going to see that slow down a little bit and i think that the big thing to know as an angler especially a walleye angler is to anticipate this bite coming or just anticipate this bite changing i should say and so many people will lose the bite uh and they might not lose it for another three weeks you know it might be a month before they lose it. Um, but the bite will change. And bites always change. And a lot of people blame the summer heat. You know, you get to the middle of July and everybody complains. Like, oh, man, the dog days of summer. You know, the walleyes went deep or the walleyes were feeding at night. When in reality, the, the big change is that once you have all this bait fish prevalent, a lot of that young bait fish lives on the surface. They're up there in the hottest water possible. They're up there in the sunlight. They're in there where all the microorganisms are living. And when they come up in that water column, your walleyes are going to be with them. A walleye is always going to 
going to be with the food source. Don't let it get in your head that it's too hot or the fish are deep or at night or, you know, whatever all the stereotypes and myths you hear. When in reality, the walleyes will always be where the food is at. So when that food comes shallow, your walleye is going to come shallow. So you have to adapt your, your presentations. Go find that shallow water. Even if you stick with your live bait rigs and stick with your jigs that you've been doing for months, go do that in shallower water, five, six feet of water where those shatter pull it because that's where your walleyes are going to be. But if you're staying in that traditional 10, 14, 15 feet of water, your bait fish are going to be higher than that piece of structure, and therefore your walleyes will be above that structure, and your structure becomes useless. So I think the biggest thing that we've been talking about is the anticipation of that. Because, again, it hasn't happened yet. I mean, most of the bites are as they've been for the last month. But literally in the next couple of days, we're going to start to see that transition of, of again, you want to call it the, the midsummer pattern or the start of the fall pattern. Um, you're going to see that happening very soon. So I just really encourage all the anglers to, to know what's happening, know to look for those bait fish, adapt to that bite, uh, and you're not going to miss a beat. You're going to continue to have those high numbers of days and catch those good fish as long as you adapt to that new bite. Yeah. Now, Nate, this is this is not just necessarily, uh, you know, something that's happening just on our, our on our local front range reservoirs at Chatfield and Cherry Creek. You know, we've seen this start happening at Pueblo as well. And, you know, something that a lot of people uh, overlook, especially when we're talking about fishing out of the, out of the boat, is using your electronics to, to kind of find these fish and to find the schools of bait that they're uh, that they're targeting. Absolutely. And I think you have a couple options for this. I mean, well, let's just say you, you do happen to go out to one of your fishers. And yeah, it could be Jackson, Sterling, I mean, any, of the, any, of the, any of the Colorado fishers are going to have that bait fish. I mean, your really only exclusion to a shad-based lake uh, is pretty much going to be a roar reservoir. Most everything else is going to have a shad base in it. So you're going to find these patterns true. Uh, obviously, the spawn time of these shads can vary lake to lake. But generally speaking, you will probably see this bite change. With that being said, like, like you said, you can 100% use your electronics. You can go out there, find these big pods of shad, uh, know where the shad's at, see the walleyes underneath them, and approach those fish that way. A lot of times, even where we go kind of old school, we almost go saltwater style, and you look for where the pelicans are, you look for where the gulls are. If you see birds activating on fish, if they're actively moving, if they're just sitting there, we don't care. But if they're diving, if they're dropping down, if they're flying around circling, um, those birds are feeding on that young shad of the year. And that's going to be a major indication of where that bait fish is at. So there's a lot of ways. I mean, you can really drive around and physically with your eyes look and see these shad balls. So you can do a lot of ways to, to search out and find that bait. Uh, and once you do so, fishing, I think that's one of the, the hardest struggle points of a walleye. You know, you uh, are a walleye angler, I should say. If you, you tell a guy, hey, you got to go fish shallow, the bait's shallow, and you go down to a, a point or you go to a shallow shoreline, you throw jigs, that walleye angler can do that because it's the same presentation they've been doing deeper. They're just in shallow water. Water and they grasp the concept. But a lot of times you look at lakes like Cherry Creek where we'll go out in 15, 20 feet of water, we'll find big pods of shad, and we cast lipless crankbaits. We cast square bills. Lots of people even fish spoons. Um, and we'll throw these super high energy, super flashy baits. Um, and we're literally catching fish four to six feet down below the surface, over 20 feet of water, with no rhyme or reason to structure. We're out in the middle of the lake just chasing shad, and we're casting almost as if we're fishing for a trout or a surface-feeding fish. Um, and you're just pounding the walleye. And I think it's a lot of times walleye anglers struggle uh, with that concept. You know, they want to set boards and troll, 
which will work, but you're just going to come in and out of the school as opposed to casting those schools. A lot of times you can use your side imaging and your graphs, and you can stay right in those pods of bait, and you can stay right on those walleyes and continue that, that catch rate increase um, you know, as you're really more fine-tuning those presentations. So uh, we're not trying to scare people to say the bite's off. The bite is rocking right now. But if you do see that change, make this be the year that you change with the fish. Because, you know, well, you and I go to the, the ISC shows. We talk to so many anglers, and we hear the same struggle points. Everybody's like, man, we just love walleye fishing in May and June, you know, early July. And then all of a sudden the bite changes and we can't find them. And, again, it's more that concept of understanding the fishery, understanding the food, understanding what the walleyes are doing, uh, and, again, activating on those active fish and, and, and catching and making the most of those bites because they, they are existent. You just have to change your styles for sure. Absolutely. Now, let's switch gears a little bit. You and I uh, share uh, an affection for targeting giant northern pike. You know, over the years, uh, especially the last few years, we've actually started to catch a few more of our larger fish uh, in, during these summertime months. And I'll tell you what, there's not a more exciting way. I mean, we love precision trolling for pike. We catch a lot of fish doing it in the spring. We catch big fish doing it in the spring. But there's something about having the rod in your hand. And when you add the topwater factor to it that we're about to talk about, I mean, there's not a better way to target big fish, is there? I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, you, you've heard topwater for anything. I mean, obviously, we talk about it for lake trout. We talk about it for bass. And so many anglers have done topwater for one species or another, you know, wipers or stripers or whatever they're, they're targeting. Um, and you just, I mean, whatever it is, you catch a bluegill on topwater. And it's exciting. Anytime that you throw in the, the visual effect, the sound effect, I mean, you throw in so many other senses that are getting activated when a fish strikes other than feel. Um, and it just adds excitement. And, you know, throw a pike in there who absolutely absolutely, you know, somewhat loses their mind for the bait, um, makes it even that much more exciting, you know, so topwater, number one for any species is great, then you throw a little bit more aggression to it, which is great, then you throw in the fact that you might catch, you know, a state record or catch a giant 20-pound pike, um, I mean, it just adds to it, so it really makes it the ultimate game in fishing, I think, targeting, you know, big pike on topwater, and, you know, we look forward to this year, time of year, every year, and it's funny, you know, because, you know, Will and I are the, you're the same, we, you know, we know that that bite's going to come starting in July, you know, middle of July it starts, and you know sometimes it carries on all the way to mid-September. Sometimes it stops in October, depending on our temperatures. Um, and it's funny because you and I both, you know, we go out there. It's late June, and you see each other throwing topwater. We're like, man, maybe it'll start early this year. Maybe it'll start in mid-June because you know, we're so excited about it. But you know, when those weeds get high, um, you know, that kind of starts it off. But the really big thing we wait for is those damsels. The second you start getting a ton of damselflies, a lot of those dragonflies, they swim subsurface, and it pulls those rainbows, it pulls those perch up towards the surface are up, up in the water column, and that's really what activates that big that big topwater bite for those big pike. The second is all their food comes high, much like a walleye. Again, everything we do revolves around the food source. Uh, that Those rainbows come high, the birds come, birds come a little bit more elevated, um, and I'll tell you what, those pikes start looking up, and they annihilate it. It's fun because, again, now we're fishing some of the waters that maybe over the last three, four weeks have been so weeded up, we weren't able to fish. You know, We couldn't throw a spinnerbait. We couldn't throw a jerkbait. Couldn't throw a swimbait. Um, and now we'll send some of those weedier areas. We can throw topwater, sneak through those weeds, and catch those fish that have, you know, essentially been unpressured, you know, going on almost a month. So it's nice to see new fish, big fish, uh, and cover a little bit more water that we've been limited to, you know, over a couple of weeks for sure. 
You know, and Nate, let's break this down real quick. So in the springtime, when we're when we're precision trolling for Pike, uh, you know, we you and I preach this all the time. The strike zone is literally a game of inches. Sometimes it's as ridiculous as being a half an inch when we're talking about making sure that our baits are running through the strike zone. And you know, I, we have people on our boats that we take in the spring, and we have people that that come on the boat. Same people in the summertime. And it's funny, you know, I had a guy ask me the other day during a topwater Pike trip. He goes, "Well, hey, how come you were so anal about making sure that we had sixty <laughs> five feet of line out not 63 behind the board but now we're watching these pike chase a buzz bait for 20 30 feet and then they're crushing it with reckless abandon missing it and then they're doing it again you said they were lazy why are they doing this now and <laughs> yeah, you know, so it, break that down yeah so much of it's opportunity you know you know, and that's it. And, and you know, we, we, we say it all the time. These these pike here are lazy. They don't want to work hard to eat. But, again, at some point in time when that water temperature rises and they're definitely up in the water column feeding on the fish that are following their food, uh, these fish are going to be willing to move, and they are definitely more aggressive in the summer months. And I don't know what it is, but, you know, for me, I think for you too, having a topwater bait, a buzz bait specifically, that has, that makes a ton of noise seems to have been the key over the last couple of years. Definitely. I think the more noise, the the better. And I think a lot of it comes down to activity level of the fish and what they have to do. Um, a pike is one of those fish that understands the, the game of energy in, energy out. You know, they know what it takes. So when your rainbows and that water, you know, most of our trolling bites are at 55 degree temperature or less going by surface temperature. So when that water's cold, that water's 47, 48, your rainbows are swimming with less energy. Even though they're a cold water fish and the rainbows don't necessarily get affected by that, they still swim with a little bit less energy. So those rainbows are moving slower. The pike are in a pre and post spawn state in the spring and they're they don't want to put out that energy so if the rainbow's moving slow they know they can just slink along and take the bait and they don't want to come out of that strike zone especially due to temperature change but once you get in these summer months where that water's warm which number one helps the energy level of the pike but number two it really comes through the entire water column to where right now you go to a spinny uh you know 11 mile of williamsport um and so much of that water column is fairly similar in temperature you know from the surface down eight ten feet um it's very similar in temperature range so those pike have no problem coming in and out of it as opposed to the spring when your surface might be 52 and three feet down is 46 and you know you dramatically are colder just because again the spring hasn't had enough temperature change you know or you have so much temperature change where you get different levels of temperature as for these summer months you don't get as much swing in temperature um, so that water level gets a little bit more evenly keeled as you'd say uh, and it really helps those pike not want to stick to a certain zone and two gives them so much energy. And again, you know, all you're trying to do with that topwater bait um, is make noise. You want to knock on the door. You want to ring the doorbell and let them know that you are in the area, especially the thicker weeds. So that's kind of how we break it down. If we're in an area where we're fishing points, let's say I'm at Stagecoach where I'm not fishing a weed mat, I'm fishing points. I can get away with quieter baits. I can throw the Zara spooks. I can throw the smaller bud baits, throw frogs. Um, but the second I get into heavy vegetation that you're spinning 11 miles, places like that where you have thick, thick weeds, those pike can sit down, you know, three feet in a weed patch, and if you literally throw a quiet bait five feet from them, they're not going to hear that bait. It's not that they don't want it, they just don't notice it. Um, and you don't really get those fish to come out and, and really know that that bait's there. So we're looking for the most tinny, rattle, annoying bait you can possibly have. Um, you know, you want to hear the bubble splash. I love using metal blades. You, know, you want tin and aluminum blades where you get that almost ting. And I mean, you want your baits loose. You want them just a rattling mess um, just so those fish can hear it, just to know they come out. 
out. And if you have to go oversized, that's no problem. I mean, you know, we're throwing as much musky gear as we are throwing pike gear just to, to make more racket to get these fish to come out of the weeds. Um, and we also like a bait that runs very true. You talk about a fish that's got the worst aim in the world. I mean, if they were back in the cowboy days, they would be a goner in two seconds. They, they can't <laughs> aim to save their life. So you want a bait that runs as straight and narrow as possibly just to give the fish more chance. You know, you throw in some, some crazy poppers and some amazing real side-to-side walk-the-dog baits, and um, the fish love them, no doubt, but you're hurting your odds of those hookups. So uh, having a bait that runs straight, make it clean um, and rattly as all heck, and, uh, and you'll definitely get those fish out of those weeds and make some notice, and, and they'll hit it. That's for sure. Yeah, there's no question about that. Now, last thing real quick before we cut to a break and come back and talk about hunting. Um, as far as the topwater thing goes, you know, a lot of times when, when the wind picks up, when we're topwater fishing, a lot of times guests on the boat will be like, oh, man, it was prime topwater conditions. It was flat, calm glass, and now we're getting wind. And to me, and, and I think to you too, that wind almost helps you uh, when, we're talk- when we're targeting these bigger fish. You know, last year we caught a fish that was, you know, 28 and a half pounds on a buzz bait in 18 feet of water while the boat was literally rocking up and down like we were on the Great Lakes. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think it's 100%. I think the same thing. Rain helps. Chop helps. Um, even though to us as a fisherman, it makes the bait much more quiet, uh, to the fish, they still notice it just as much. And actually, as you hit a wave, it makes that bait roll up and down. It actually gives it a different visual presence. So when that bait's running flat, we see the blades coming out of the water. But to a pike, all they basically see is that skirt coming down. And it gets so flat it almost mirrors out flat and all of a sudden they, they can see it, but they're like, man, what is it? And obviously they like it when it's calm, but you throw waves in there. And now all of a sudden, as you go up, you know, the swell of a wave and down the curl of a wave, when you're going up and down those drafts of those waves, all of a sudden from below that pike can look up. And now instead of just seeing basically the, the very bottom of that blade and maybe a little bit of that skirt, now he sees the entire profile of that bait. So now all of a sudden your visual aspect, not so much just the noise, but your visual aspect in wind, you know, despite what you might think, actually increases because that bait's sitting at a different angle. The fish can see it easier um, and they get after it. And I'll say that with wind, since the bait's moving a little faster, it almost seems like they hit it harder. I more so than even how many bites I get. I'd say the average fish's aim, so the average pike's aim, and my success rate. So literally, blow up to actually fish in the boat increases in that wind. So more so than even than anything else, it just generally helps my hookup rate fishing in those those choppy conditions. So when it gets windy, where everybody else puts the baits away, uh, it's definitely not that time. It's definitely time to, to keep going and or pull the top water baits out when you get in that win that's for sure there's no question all right Nate well we're up against a break here we're going to come back and talk some hunting we're, we're excited to hear about some scouting reports that you have as well as uh, you know kind of a forecast for what's going to happen this season perfect all right you're listening to 104.3 the fan you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors presented in part by Sun Enterprises Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer Guys, we're back here in studio. It is a beautiful Saturday morning, and we just talked uh, all things fishing with Nate Zelensky. And now we're going to switch gears and talk hunting. You know, it's middle of summer, Nate. Nobody's thinking about what's going on in the woods because everybody's fishing, uh, and they're definitely missing the boat. 
Absolutely. You know, I mean, there's, uh, I mean it's, it's good to take advantage of fishing. The fishing's hot, so you got to just pick your passion. But uh, to everybody out there who, at the end of the big game season, whether you're elk, deer, bow, muzzleloader, rifle, you know, when you wrap up the season, if you're disappointed, if your freezer is empty, if all the excuses come to play, you blame the weather, you blame everything else, um, you're the guy that needs to be out there scouting now. Scout the property. Scout the animals. Uh, I went out this morning. I saw 22 bulls. Uh, and I'm a, I literally have bulls picked out for this coming fall. Um, it's actually kind of cool. We're doing a really cool sweepstakes with Bowtech Archery. Uh, so for everybody that's ever listened to this radio show and ever been like, man, I wish I could go out with Nate Zelensky. We have a chance to hunt with me this coming fall. Uh, you just go to BowtechArchery.com, find, find the, sign up for the elk sweepstakes, uh, and there's a good chance that one lucky winner, uh, or it could be you, I should have, we know there's going to be a winner, uh, but it could be somebody right here in this local area that's going to come on a uh, on a Rocky Mountain uh, elk hunt with myself uh, this coming fall. we got some big bulls located, um, and again, it's going to be a great hunt. But regardless, I've been out scouting for that, uh, and just scouting in general, and now's the time of year where it's night. You know, temperatures are great. There's a lot of sunlight out right now. The days are long, so you can go out, do some scouting, and still get home early. I mean, you know, I was out first light watching these bulls at, you know, 5.15 in the morning, and a lot of cases, you can get back home, you know, midday and, and still make a weekend out of it. So, uh, it's good for all those factors, and it's funny, I was listening to that commercial break, so I was on that last segment, and listened to Sun Power Sports, and it kind of brought up a great thing that happened yesterday. Great for me, poor for the other gentlemen. Um, doing some scouting, I was actually driving uh, an ATV from Sun, I was driving a Polaris Ranger, and I'm going up all of these draws and all these cool four-wheel drive roads in the forest, uh, and looking for, for sheep yesterday, and I ran into another sheep hunter. Now, this other sheep hunter hadn't done quite as much scouting as me. You know, I'm using the Onyx maps, using Google Earth. I'm doing a lot of digital stuff at home to plan my day of scouting to make sure I'm just efficient. I don't ever just go out there and, you know, drive around and see what I see. I go out with a mission. I know exactly the drainages I want to see. I know the draws I want to see. I know the, you know, the ridges I want to check. I have a very fluid plan before, you know, getting out there in the woods. Now, with that being said, we went up this draw, and I was actually about eight miles in, uh, um, you know, this amazing road, and right at the head of this canyon, eight miles, um, this gentleman was just sitting down, and he was a sweaty mess. And this guy looks at me like a ghost, and uh, I said, how you doing, sir? And he goes, well, I started hiking at 3 a.m., and at this time it's probably 9 a.m., 10 a.m. Um, he goes, I hiked all day to get here because I had no idea that road was here. He goes, I thought I was on the, the best enclosed drainage that had no people in it. And, you know, I pulled right up, and I think everybody listening as a hunter has been in that situation where you literally think you're the only person on earth that's ever walked there, and, you know, all of a sudden you see other hunters or you hear the ATV coming or trucks, um, and you get those surprises from lack of scouting. And this is that time of year to where you want to know that. You want to know every access. You want to know every creek and water hole. You want to know where the animals are bedding. You know, right now, to literally today's date, wherever these bulls are right now, the cows have dropped calves, where the animals are today is a good chance of where they're going to be during archery season. So in that September, that late August, uh, archery hunt opens up for deer and elk. You're going to be hunting these animals in the exact spot they're at right now. So if you go find them now, you have got a major educational point and a good tool to start with uh, of where you're going to be hunting this fall. So instead of planning it, you know, a couple of days before the season, get out there right now. Take your family, take the kids. Um, but scouting right now, shooting your equipment, everything that you need to do for the hunting season, start it now. Even if you start it now and build a great pattern and then take a couple weeks off, you're better off to start it now and be ahead of the game than be tailing the game, you know, weeks before the season. So, uh, I mean, again, 
everything that I've put into success for hunting. I mean, all the, the deer, the elk, you know, bears, um, I would say every one of those, generally speaking, is earned through scouting. I mean, every so often you get lucky, there's no doubt. Um, but when you start doing it year in and year out, the, the flawless scouting is really what puts animals on the ground year to year and, and makes your, your dreams or your goals, uh, you know, a reality uh, through the energy you put in through scouting, for sure. You know, there's no question. You bring up a good point, you know, and we've talked about this a lot, Nate, is, you know, a lot of people, you know, rely on their their uh, talent, if you will, or their personal abilities, you know, whether it's it's, you know, a knack for knowing where the animals are, whether it's, you know, being really good at, at, at doing a spot and stock style hunt or calling for that matter. Uh, you know, a lot of people put too much stock into their actual ability versus stock into putting time in because you know you might be the worst hunter in the world but if you spend time in the woods and you learn that animal you're gonna have a better chance of killing that animal than someone that's going in thinking that they can stand on a ridge and bugle and every single elk in the valley is going to bugle back because they sound so good that's it. Well, you know, we, you, we talk about that in all the elk hunting service. You and I talk about it. You're the world's best caller. I'm the worst caller. People always ask me, they're like, man, Nate, you know, you spend so much time on it. You must be great. I sound like the sickest, gnarliest elk there ever was in the world. I mean, half the time I choke on my own spit while I'm trying to call these things. I'm a terrible caller. If you know me personally, you know I'm not exactly gingerly going through the woods. I'm, I'm kind of somewhere between a, like an elephant and a hippo going through the woods. If there's a branch, I will break it. So I don't have those abilities. But I have such a flawless scouting mission that I know every move that these animals make. I mean, I'm physical, able to go anywhere in the woods, and I know exactly what these animals are thinking. I know when they bed, when they drink. I know when they're walking around. And I simply put myself in their way, and that's what makes it for a successful hunt. I agree. You know, everybody that has these these styles per se it, it really again you rely on those but if those situations don't appear you're out of luck if you rely on calling and all of a sudden you have a hot season where they're running at night and there's not that much daytime rut activity you're out of luck if you're the guy that you know rifle hunts and you just sit on you know transitions areas you know from migrations or daily habits and all of a sudden you get a weather change those animals change up and you're at a loss but scouting the animals knowing all these things and having multiple patterns don't get stuck in a, a rut of your style be a hunter and hunt all methods, um, and that's really what uh, what can get you out of that crunch and help you start putting more animals on the ground. You know, every year. And again, we always preach it. We don't have honey holes. You know, we hunt multiple units. I hunt multiple units. You hunt multiple units. Um, our biggest thing is, is scouting. You know, you could throw me into a brand new unit I've never walked into. Give me a couple weeks or a month like this. You know, give me six eight weeks before the season. Um, I'll learn that unit. I'll learn the animals, um, and you can make it successful. So you don't have to to be you know accustomed to it. You don't to be the same spot that your grandpa hunted. Uh, find the spot, scout it out, learn all the, the nooks and crannies, learn all the access, the public, the private. Um, but again, knowledge, uh, hands down, more than anything out there is what puts animals on the ground. You know, we, we say it in, a, in kind of a different fashion, but you know, you look at the greatest hunters out there, and we always ask, are these amazing hunters? You know, I'm not going to say names, but the people that we look up to, maybe we watch them on TV, maybe we read about them. Do they have success because their ability is so great? Or do they have success because they're going with somebody that has all the answers? They're going with a guide, a friend, a ranch manager that watches the elk, that knows the elk. And generally speaking, that's the case. Sure, yes, they are good hunters. and They have the ability to, to capitalize when the opportunity is in front of them. But what makes that, that success? 
is knowledge. Somebody's out there watching, learning, knowing uh, these animals, and that's what makes that that such an easy game when it's time to hunt any animal. And that's again, pronghorn, elk, deer, bear, whatever you're hunting. If you scout and know everything about them, it makes it that much easier when it's time to pursue them with a weapon, uh, when it, with tag in hand. Absolutely, Nate. So that's some great information, you guys, again. And if you don't have time to get out in the woods, at the very least, you know, like Nate said, use Onyx Maps, use Google Earth, and get to know the area, and you can check your elevation changes, all that stuff, so you have a good idea, and be prepared, so that way, when you do get out in the woods to scout, you know exactly where you're scouting. That's it. All righty, Nate. Hey, we're, the digital age is with us for sure. Absolutely. Hey, we're up against a break. Thank you so much for spending some extra time with us today to talk fishing and hunting, and uh, we'll see you on the water this week. We'll see you soon. And, guys, again, go to Bowtech Archery, sign up for that, and always follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We'll have more updates on all the hunting stuff for sure. All righty, guys. That was Nate Zielinski. Great information. As always, we are up against a break, and we're going to be talking big predators, muskies, and pike next on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. All right, guys, Will Dykstra here in studio again for Terry, who is out on assignment, actually in Minnesota. And we are being joined by Mark Stock with Big Tooth uh, Tackle. He's a a pro staff member, along with myself, uh, who is in Minnesota right now, actually at at Lake Vermilion, chasing muskies. Uh, Mark, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about you, Will? You know, I'm doing great. You know, I've said it all day today. It's summertime. I absolutely love this time of year. Water's warming up. These big predators that we love chasing, whether it be uh, muskies like you're doing right now in Minnesota, uh, tiger muskies that a lot of guys are chasing here in Colorado and some of the neighboring states in Utah and New Mexico, or uh, or big pike, which is, which is one of my favorite fish to target that I spend a ton of time chasing. And, uh, you know... Mark, you and I do a ton of topwater fishing, and I think you and I have some uh, uh, a similarity in the fact that there's a particular bait that you and I fish this time of year, and actually throughout uh, the entire summer into the fall, that puts a lot of big toothy critters in the boat. Yes, sir. You know, and when we're talking about that, I absolutely love topwater fishing and the Big Tooth Clackbait. For those of you that aren't familiar with Big Tooth, um, it's it's a it's a company that's owned by Clam, and they are making literally the biggest buzz bait you've ever seen. And uh, I had Nate Zielinski on earlier, and we were actually talking topwater pike tactics. And uh, you know, what are some things you, as a musky angler, you spend a ton of time chasing these fish up in the north, uh, in the north country, whether it's Minnesota or Canada or Wisconsin, and you know. So what are some of the tricks of the trades that you use while topwater fishing for these uh, trophy fish? Well, I first, first of all, it comes down to your setup. Uh, I like a nice long rod and uh, pretty high gear ratio so you can get that clack bait up and out right away because it works the best when she's up and out. And I, I prefer just listening to the bait. Some guys retrieve super slow where the blades are barely turning, and some guys rip them in. I've caught them both ways. It just kind of, you got to get that sound. And that's what's unique about the clack bait is it doesn't really sound like a lot of the top waters out there. Uh, I believe it really resonates through the water and fish pick up on that and they get pretty aggressive on it. 
You know, they absolutely do. And, you know, the cool thing about this big, giant musky bait that we're using is it's not just limited to big, giant, toothy critters. Mark, you know, oh. I talked to you about it a little bit yesterday. I've been catching a lot of big trout, big rainbows, big browns uh, in the in the cold or cold weather months. You know, in uh, early spring, I'm actually catching giant lake trout on these clack baits, these big, giant buzz baits. And it is not just limited to musky fish, and it's not just limited to, you know, fishing big heavy gear you know you 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 were just talking about you're using a long rod with with a high gear ratio and you know for me on my guide trips you can actually still throw this bait on a reasonably light or you know a reasonably heavy rod not a rod that you need to have you know an eight and a half foot musky stick with a hundred pound braid uh you know we're throwing these on on medium heavy spinning rods on on our guide trips just because people might not be comfortable with a bait caster you know but the key is having that high gear ratio and you can catch some of these giant fish just by doing that so you don't necessarily have to have the big gear but it certainly helps it does it helps it especially the open water clack uh the weedless ain't as bad the weedless is about an ounce three quarter the the open water is a little heavier because uh, it's basically a bucktail body with the clack head you could say you know absolutely so that's, that you got to get up and out but no like you touched on with catching other fish i catch a lot of pike on them uh, my largest largemouth comes on the clack bait, actually, and I thought it was a nice musky, and here was a six-pound largemouth. So that's pretty good for Minnesota. So, no, it's it's been a great bait for me. And then in September, when the fish move up, when you get them, them cold snaps in the late September and the fish move up in the sand and the reeds, and I tell you, it's you can have upwards five, six, seven fish days, and it's just when they when you see them coming through the reeds and bending them over and just nailing your bait, that's uh, that's why we fish, you know. Absolutely, you know, and it's not just limited, like I said, to fishing these muskies in the North Country. No. You know, these tiger muskies here in the West, whether you're in Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, they're you know they're not the same. You know, they have some you know, there's some idiosyncrasies with all of them, but I'll tell you what, you can still catch these fish and that big tooth clack with that slightly different sound with that click as it as the as the uh, the prop hits the actual shaft of the bait is a definite game changer in your topwater arsenal. Yes, sir. Yep. All righty, Mark. Well, hey, I'm going to let you get back to chasing muskies up there, and uh, right. we're going to get on a break. But Mark, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the radio and talking uh, muskies and big pike. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Will. All righty, guys. That was Mark Stock with Big Tooth Tackle, and we are up against a break. Coming up next, we got Ronnie Castiglione from The Fishful Thinker. You're listening to 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. All right, guys, Will Dykstra here in studio. We're on our last segment of the day of this beautiful Saturday morning, and I have Ronnie Castiglione from the Fishful Thinker Guide Service on the line, and we are talking some fishing tips on drop shot fishing. Hey, Will, how you doing this morning? You know, Ronnie, I'm great. It is a beautiful day. Happy to be in studio, of course, to uh, be talking fishing and hunting with everybody, and hopefully... Uh, Hopefully people are learning a few things today and, and something they can take out to the water, to the woods, and, and be more successful in whatever they're doing. Well, that's kind of what we're trying to do when we come on the show every week is try to impart a little wisdom and get people out there so that they can experience some new techniques and be a little more successful. The one I wanted to talk about today, Will, is fishing a drop shot. Um, you know, it's definitely that time of year as we get into midsummer. 
that you will have days out there where the bike can be a little off on a lot of other presentations, but the drop shot can absolutely shine this time of year. So it's a technique that if you, you know, as a listener, if you haven't utilized a drop shot to try to catch, you know, anything from bass, smallmouth, uh, largemouth, walleyes, trout, just about everything can be caught on a drop shot. Uh, it's a technique that you want to have in your arsenal, and it's one you want to become familiar with, but there's, there's definitely a few things that uh, I key in on that I try to teach my clients uh, because they just don't have the experience with it. So those are kind of the things I wanted to cover, Will. Absolutely. Now, Ronnie, we actually had Cliff Pace on, uh, a Bassmaster Classic champion earlier, and we talked about targeting fish, you know, off the bank or off, you know, off the shoreline. And that's kind of what drops, you know, drop shot fish, and that's right in the wheelhouse of targeting fish on offshore structure. Yeah, it's one of the best ways to target fish on offshore structure. Uh, you know, there's a few reasons why. One is because you get really, really good depth control when you're utilizing a drop shot. Uh, you know, you, you, a drop shot, for people who don't understand it, it's basically a, a small hook that's, you know, got the line run through it, and then you bring the tag in back down, and you put the weight on the bottom of the tag into the line. So it spins the, the presentation up off of the bottom, and you can vary that by, you know, determining the length of that tag in. So you can have that tag in be as short as just a couple of inches, or you can have it be as long as, you know, two, three, maybe four feet. Um, modern electronics are definitely going to help you determine that on a lot of days. Uh, the beauty of the drop shot in this time of year is that you can see a good number of the fish that I'm targeting on the electronics before you even think about targeting them. And that'll kind of clue you in. Well, are these fish, you know, laying tight to the bottom? Do they look like they're laying right on the bottom? Do they look like they're all suspended a third to off the bottom? That's kind of the things I'm looking for on my electronics. And then that's kind of what I'm going to customize my drop shot to sort of, you know, account for that and put the presentation right in that right depth, Will. Now, you know, there's a few other things that that we should talk about real fast. Uh, The setup that you throw a drop shot on can be very, very important. I usually, on my boat wheel, I usually have it rigged up two ways for clients. I have it rigged up on one rod with braid and a real long fluorocarbon leader that I have my drop shot rig tied onto, and then I'll also have it rigged up on another rod with just straight fluorocarbon tied to that drop shot setup. Um, in my experience, Will, personally, I like the straight fluorocarbon setup. Uh, it seems like I get more bites, and it seems like if I do break that whole setup off, that it's it's a lot easier for me to go ahead and retie to it. I'm not tying as many knots as when I'm using the braid with the leader. But for clients, Will, for especially inexperienced clients, um, they struggle a lot of times feeling the bite on the on the straight fluorocarbon. So if I go to the braid with the fluorocarbon leader, it's a lot more sensitive, and they can feel those real small little subtle ticks a lot of times, and they're not letting the fish swim off and swallowing the baits as often. So a lot of times with clients, I put them on the braid. But for me personally, I like you know, the straight fluorocarbon wheel. Now, the other thing to keep in mind with the drop shot thing, which is very, very important, is that for the most part, you're utilizing relatively small hooks when you're doing a drop shot presentation. Um, you've got to account for that. And so you've got to have some stretch either in the line or you've got to have some, you know, softness in the tip of the rod so that when you get a fish up next to the boat that you've hooked on a drop shot and he surges, you've got something there to compensate for that so that you're not ripping those tiny hooks 
jokes off right next to the boat. That's a classic scenario. That's something I see people do wrong. Uh, for me, it's kind of commonplace that I'll, I'll loosen my drag as the fish gets a little bit closer to the boat also to give it a little bit more of the ability to have that surge and not pull that hook. But I get a lot of clients that get real excited when the fish gets next to the boat wheel, and they're either trying to swing it or they're just, you know, they're just horsing it and reeling it all the way to the tip of the rod and all those kind of things. That's where you lose those fish on the drop shots. You lose them right by the boat. So think about the rod, think about the line, and think about that, and you'll definitely have more success landing the fish on a drop shot. You know, there's no question about it, too. And when you're talking about gear, you know, for a lot of people that are out there that don't necessarily have, you know, like you and I, we're going to have, you know, 50 rods on our boat at, at any given time, you know, to cover all the bites that we're doing. And, you know, so a lot of people are like, well, I'll just tie this on my, you know, six-foot ultralight. It'll work just fine. Or my six or my seven-foot uh, medium-heavy rod. It'll work just fine. But the reality is when we're fishing like this, you know, having something that's got that sens- that sensitivity but still some backbone uh, to get those fish to the boat is really important. And for me, um, I'm using either a six, I'd say probably a six foot nine or a seven foot three, kind of that length range, medium light action rod, you know, that, that's going to allow you to have the sensitivity, but also um, have the strength to get that fish to the boat and also the strength for that hook set. Yeah, those seem to be about the, you know, I either have a 6.9 or I have a, I also have a 7 foot 6 drop shot specific rod that I, I like to utilize. I tend to put the braid on the, on the longer of the two rods because it's got more of a bowy tip on the end of it. So I get more of that ability to compensate for the lack of stretch with the, with the, with the straight braid. But, you know, yeah, those are definitely, you want to have the right rod. You don't want to overpower it. You don't want to have your, your flipping stick and try to utilize it for a drop shot rig. The other thing to think about is, you know, the size weight that you put on the bottom of the drop shot is going to really affect your ability to fish it. Um, you know, for me in Colorado, I, it's seldom I go a lot heavier than, say, a half an ounce. And, and a lot of times my, my weight is going to be more in that, let's say, eighth to maybe a quarter to three-eighths, somewhere in that range like that. And, you know, and the other tip that I, that, I, that I tell clients a lot of times when they're starting to fish drop shots and thinking about what kind of weight to put on the bottom, yes, they make a whole bunch of drop shot weights out there, Will. You know, you can see with the tackle shop and they've got these fancy little clips on the top to hook to the line and all that kind of good stuff but they're going to charge you a pretty penny for those fancy drop shot weights my experience and what i like to use is just big split shots will i buy split shots that are a quarter of an ounce or a half an ounce or three-eighths of an ounce and i'll just pinch those on that tag into the line and i may tie a tiny little knot right below the split shot on the line so that it slides down to it right there uh you know just in my experience those real expensive drop shot weights that they have out there for the newbies for the people that are trying this technique out for the first time you don't have to buy the six dollar or three weights in a thing tungsten drop shot weight uh just try split shots and go with it from there and i think you'll you know you're definitely going to lose some presentations and you're going to lose some weights doing this uh you know but it'll save you a lot of money if you kind of think about that in the long run will yeah you know there's no question you actually hammered exactly what i was about to talk about you know i've been at spinny before where you know the trout who are typically railing uh, you know, we'll get shy and we'll all of a sudden be hugging super tight to the bottom. And, you know, we call it the poor man's drop shot rig where you're just using a single hook. I mean, literally the day that we or one of the days that we did this, I was scrambling for, you know, because a drop shot setup isn't something that I necessarily keep in my arsenal at all times, or at least it wasn't um, until this particular day. And we actually, you, you can use just about any kind of soft plastic on that drop shot. I mean, this day we, we, I had tubes in the boat cause that's what we catch fish on at spinning with. We catch a ton of big sure. trout on tubes. And I literally, like you said, just used a, 
a split shot because it's what I had in the boat and a tube jig and put it right there on the bottom. Could feel the weight on the bottom, working the tube, you know, four to six inches off the bottom, and that was right in the strike zone. And we had a heck of a day catching trout on drop shot rigs. Yeah, when they're the deal, and they can be the deal for just about any species, uh, you'll figure it out real fast if you're trying them, and they'll probably outfish anything else you'll pick up on those given days. Now, there's one other thing, Will, that I, I like to you know get people to think about is line twist can be a big concern when you're usi- utilizing a drop shot rig. Um, so you, there's a couple ways to compensate for that. One, you can have a swivel in the mix somewhere. So if you're going straight fluorocarbon, you may want to put a swivel above the hook, maybe a foot or so up above the hook, and then run your drop shot rig below that. If you're running braid to a fluorocarbon leader, uh, the line twist isn't as big a concern when you're utilizing the braid and you got the fluorocarbon because the braid kind of will absorb a lot of that twist. But it is something you want to think about. Uh, the other way to go about it is there's, there's some drop shot hooks out there nowadays that have a swivel that are kind of built right into the eye of the hook. And a few different companies make those. Those I actually really like, Will, and I like those for clients because, uh, you know, it's less knots to tie up above, and it it compensates for that spin because of that swivel that's right in the eye. But the other thing that allows me to do is allows me to make the tag-in coming from the hook down to the weight a lighter pound test diameter line than my main line coming down to the hook. And what, what that does for me, Will, is with clients, especially, they, they have a tendency to snag that, that bottom weight very frequently, especially on horse tooth where there's a lot of rocks. If you do it like that and you put, let's say, four-pound test fluorocarbon coming down from the hook and you're running six- or eight-pound test fluorocarbon as your main line, then when you snag that and you go to break that off, more often than not, you'll get the hook, you'll get the soft plastic back, and you'll just lose that bottom piece of line going to the weight. Rigging the drop shot hook or rigging the drop shot rig throughout the day, it it takes up a lot of time, so you, you want to think about that, or you want to rig a whole bunch of them up ahead of time and maybe put them on a Lindy type of line holder type of deal and have them ready to go. But if you're sitting there and you're tying three, four, five knots in order to make a drop shot rig and you're doing it over and over again, you, you're just going to get frustrated with it, Will. Yeah, you're exactly right. Being prepared, having enough rigs tied up, you know, and, and kind of, I don't want to say dumbing it down, but making it easier for the user is what we want to do. So, uh, Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us today. More That was great information. Uh, real quick, how can people get a hold of you if they want to get out fishing? Officialthinker.com. You can check out all our th- deals as far as guide trips and whatnot. You can get a hold of me, Ronnie Castiglione, on Facebook. Or, uh, you know, instant message Terry Wickstrom, and he'll put you in touch with me. A lot of ways to get a hold of this, but officialthinker.com is probably the easiest. All righty, Ronnie. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Guys, thank you so much for li- tuning in today to 104.3 The Fan. I'm Will Dykstra. Had a great day talking fishing and hunting. You're listening to 104.3 The Fan. Yeah.